Hello and welcome to episode five of Logicast, the AWS News podcast. I'm Carl Robinson, uh, co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined by my colleague today, John Goodall. Hello, John. How are you doing this week? I'm okay, as ever. I'm okay. Are we really on episode five? Crikey. Episode five already. Time flies when you're having fun. And we've still not managed to iron out all the technical challenges of actually recording a podcast. Maybe we'll get there. Um, perhaps before we get into double figures, um, we'll, we'll make it nice and slick. We'll have to wait and see. So um, if you haven't listened to the Logicast podcast before, um, every week I curate a list of AWS news articles, which I send out in my AWS News Roundup newsletter. Um, and then John and I uh, handpick a number of those articles just to take a little bit of a deeper dive on in the Logicast podcast. So we've prepared some articles for this week. And the first of those is talking about a new open source tool which scans public AWS S3 buckets for secrets. Um, for those of you who have been on the, the newsletter subscription, you'll know that I'm regularly sharing um, AWS S3 buckets that have been compromised because um, it is one of the most common uh, compromises on S3. People who've left buckets public uh, by mistake um, being found uh, by, uh, by hackers and crackers uh, and then uh, taking whatever data is stored in those buckets and publishing it on the web, kind souls that they are. But this is a slightly different angle on that. John, tell me more about, about this particular tool. Well, this particular tool, it's it's got as ever a, a silly name. It's S three Crets Scanner because there's a three instead of the E in secret secret scanner. The idea is it's scanning inadvertently made public buckets, so uh, it kind of excludes things that are obviously public by default. Um, it, it scans accidental public buckets for secrets, for access creds, for API keys and tokens and that sort of thing, and then it sends it on to a seam solution. The idea being, of course, that if you're sort of sitting there scanning buckets, then you'll find them. That's sort of the idea, because it's all publicly available. This tool is kind of aimed at red teamers, if you like. The idea being, if you're not familiar with the term red teamer, it's part of a security team that focuses on breaking through a particular organization's security levels, right? Um, what you'd what you'd also call maybe a white hat hacker, you know, they've been hired by or they work for an organization to examine and helpfully and hopefully improve their security posture. So that's kind of who this tool is aimed at. But it's also just generally aimed at sort of DevOps folks as well. Because folks like us that sit in the cloud and DevOps space end up becoming pseudo security workers anyway, just by the nature of having access to everything. Um, but yeah, so this is doing it for accidentally public buckets and running through there, working out what secrets you've got, telling you about them, which is brilliant. Because as you quite rightly say, S3 bucket breaches is probably the most common breach in, in cloud computing to the extent that um, I think pretty much every cloud commentator in one description or another does what you do and highlights leaky buckets. Um, there's like S3 bucket negligence awards and there's um, lists of leaky buckets. And, and honestly, you just need to search for leaky bucket and you don't find pictures of actual buckets with holes in. You find S3 bucket breaches. <laughs> it's that bad. Um, so anything that can help in that regard, anything that can kind of work there is brilliant. Um because it's not just, what what would you call it, a mom and pop type little web shop or whatever that's doing this, that's screwing this up. It's it's 
It's the US voting service. It's the Dow Jones company. It's Verizon. It's Time Warner. It's big firms that should know better at getting this wrong. So anything that helps anyone is great, in my opinion. And it's always human error in this case, right? Because by default, S3 buckets are not public. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. So if you go through the console, you create a new bucket. By default, um, what are the policies in ACLs? It's, the settings are block public ACLs, block public policies, ignore public ACLs, and restrict public buckets. Right. So if they're all set to true, then nothing in there is public at all, can't be public, not going to happen. That's the default setting. They are secure by default. So if you've gone and turned them on, then, yeah, then it's probably an accident that you've turned them on because it's like, hmm, really? Yes, okay, you can then go and turn um, those settings sort of off so that you can then make um, objects public. But again, an object isn't public by default. You then have to make the object public on top of that. Nothing in S3 is, is default public. And up until... Not that long ago, AWS copped a huge amount of flack over the security of S3 buckets, and they just all they could do in their ineffable wisdom was fall back on the shared security responsibility model because the shared responsibility model is bad juju for AWS, and sort of say, no, 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 this is all you, this is all you, this is all you, which was bad PR, but they're not wrong. Anyone that's done this has probably made a mistake has done it by accident, but it's them that's done it. It's not the hosting provider. And, yeah, so the flack that AWS used to catch about this was somewhat unfair, I think. Um, not that I'd ever defend AWS, but that particular piece of flack was unfair. <laughs> I think they've improved the error messages, right? So I think the warnings are perhaps a bit uh, more in your face than they used to be when you're about to do this. Um, so, uh, you know... You might do it by accident, but you can't say that you weren't warned, I guess, unless perhaps you're doing it in code or something. Yeah, so again, if you deploy your buckets through Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever, then yes, you wouldn't get a warning. But my argument would be that most people doing that should know what they're doing by that point. You're not just clicking around in the console, kind of making mistakes. And as you say, the warning messages have gotten better to help in that regard if you're just clicking around in the console you're not quite 100 percent sure of what you're doing it's very easy to make a mistake but the message is saying by the way this will make things public that helps certainly and is is it possibly a case of lazy coding a bit like the giving everyone admin privileges because it's too much hassle to figure out a more fine-grained permission policy is it a bit like that is it easier to do things in a public bucket than than in one that's locked down or in certain scenarios, yeah. So AWS itself, not specifically S3, but cross-account access in AWS is spectacularly difficult to do it well because you've got to worry about where traffic is coming from in both the account and the service. It's, it's very hard to do it effectively, especially if you're new to the platform. Like cross-account access still trips me up sometimes, and I've been doing this for years um so yes i can understand why people would in the same way that i'll just give everyone admin is i'll just make it public you know so that you can share things with people and so that you can put things in and out and all the rest of it i i personally am guilty of doing that when trying to send things to external um people not anymore i, I might add this was a number of years ago now but it was just why wouldn't it say, i'll just make it public because 
you know, it had to get done that minute. I didn't have the time to work out why it was all falling over. So yeah, that's that is a reason for doing it. And forgetting to change it back again afterwards. As you say, it's the human factor. We keep coming back to this in a couple of things. It's the human factor because you, you make it public, you forget to change it back again because the problem's gone away, you've solved your problem. Um and then all of a sudden you've you've got an Uber on your hands or other data breaches are available where someone's mining Bitcoin in your account for you. Yeah. Uh, nothing to do with uh, S3 buckets uh, or data breaches, uh, but uh, I had the article open here and it's got an advertising pane in the middle of it and it keeps showing me Burger King ads, which is making me feel very hungry. It's uh, rather, rather cruel. So I think let's skip <laughs> on to the next article so I don't need to be shown the latest uh, Burger King special offer, which is... Is actually quite tempting at the moment. Um, not that I have a burger. Is he mind showing me um, flights drive. to France? <laughs> uh, must be uh, must be specifically targeted. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously not as high brow a browser as you, John. So uh, the next article uh, that we uh, that we picked out this week um, is on the stack, and uh, it's about. Uh, AWS support no longer falling over with US East 1 after an architectural rebuild. And actually, the photo on this one is of a rather large piece of scaffolding. I think you've got your own scaffolding going on at the moment as well, John. Yes, I do. As, as you've been reminding me repeatedly, I have had a very firm erection in my garden for a while. Um, for those listening oh, um, and for those viewing... Obviously, that's not on display. I'm in my office and you can't see my scaffolding in my garden. But I had solar panels put up um, towards the end of last weekend and the scaffolders aren't booked in to come back and get it yet. Presumably because of the atrocious weather we've been having in the UK. I see. I'm glad you've cleared that one up, John, uh, in case of any uh, misinterpretation of what you may be saying there. So let's get back to the article. Uh, AWS support will no longer fall over with US East 1. What's going on here? I think there was a, there was a big outage in East 1 last year, I remember, that took down uh, lots of big names like Netflix and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think... Um, more importantly, it also took down the AWS support website. So if you were affected by that outage, you could not communicate with AWS support to tell them that you were affected and you couldn't get the status updates and so on and so forth. So that seems to me like a, a, a bit of a schoolboy error for somebody the sort of scale of, uh, of AWS. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, for all the noise that their pro-serve people and that their bloggers and so on, I don't know what you call them, and their solutions architects make about having um, HA, multi-region architecture and all the rest of it. It seems like they were sort of doing as I telling us to do as they say, but not as they do, because they had their support for the US. I don't think the EU was included, but they had their support for the US. And there's how many regions in the US? There's what, four in the US and there's one in Canada, which is on the same sort of time zone. And there's um, what, Sao Paulo, and there might be another one in South America that I can't remember. Um, so all of those would be presumably using the North America support website. And when this fell over, it fell over. And I think so did a lot of monitoring tools as well, because I think Datadog fell over at the same time. Um, a few other sort of SIEM and APM providers fell over at the same time. Netflix had problems. Loads of people were impacted by this because the whole region went down. So, yeah, it was very much a do as I say and not as I do thing until this, where they've re-architected it. Because, yeah, putting um, both 
the multi what does it say in the article the multi-region dependencies on the internal network which is hosted in us east one so that sort of makes sense you've got to put it somewhere the regions need to know how to talk to each other you've got to put that hardware that software that kit somewhere may as well put it there and having the support dashboards and things hosted out of that same region does seem a little bit foolish to me because you're not going to get decent status updates you're not going to be able to talk to people about it because the whole thing's kaput so not amazing it, it even and we'll talk about this later in the article came up in Gartner's Magic Quadrant it did indeed yeah in the report that uh, Gartner picked it up as a uh, something to, uh, to, to to potentially be concerned about uh, when looking at AWS as a cloud provider uh, but as we're saying, it has now been resolved. But bizarrely, AWS don't seem to have done a very good job of communicating the fact that it's been resolved. It's kind of been fixed in the background, and uh, they, they've not really outwardly communicated it very effectively at all, uh, or so the article claims. Yeah, so they did a detailed post-mortem, and there's um, a number of people in the community that would prefer you to not call it a post-mortem, but... That's what they did, and that's what they've called it, so we'll use that term, saying kind of what went wrong and the communication and apologising to customers and proud of our track record of availability and this isn't appropriate and so on and so on. But then, as you say, they've not um, really done very much to kind of say how they've improved it. There was a little note published August this year saying it had launched a new console uh, URL that ensures you can always contact support via the Support Centre console. Uh, built using the latest architecture stand, blah, 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 blah. And then the stack, which is where this um, post is, is hosted, then actually had to go back and ask them for details. So, yeah, as you quite rightly say, they really should have um, they really should have put this forward a bit more. Perhaps just not wanting to draw attention to, uh, to you know, to such a, a glaring, uh, what, what appears to be such a glaring error. Um, as I say, it seems so, it, it seems uh, from an outsider's perspective to be a fairly um, basic thing, uh, you know, to to host the uh, the support sites elsewhere. Um, I'm sure they had very good reasons for doing it in the first place, but uh, perhaps I'd just rather everyone forgot about it. And uh, now it's been fixed. Let's just move on. Speaking of moving on, and multi-region, shall we talk about the next one? Yeah, well, let's move on. So this week. Um, I think it was uh, in the last episode we uh, we tested my pop filter with with the word Tinkerpop. Well, we're about to test it again uh, because the title of this article is "Create a Multi-Region Python Package Publishing Pipeline with AWS CDK and Code Pipeline." I actually said that in my video last week when I was introducing the news roundup. I think I got it in one take, um, but I feel like I've said it so many times over and over again now because it's not the easiest thing to say. Let's go for it one more time. Create a multi-region Python package publishing pipeline with AWS CDK and Code Pipeline. I'm not going to say any more about it, John, because as you know, I know very little about these things. So I'm going to hand over to you. You don't have to read out the title of the article if you don't want to. I know you'd have a pop filter on your microphone, so feel free if you want to read it out. But perhaps you could share some insights <laughs> with us. What about creating a multi-region Python package publishing pipeline with AWS CDK and Code Pipeline? <laughs> well done, John. That's the one. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay. Right. Let's break this down because in a title, that's a huge amount of information from just a title. So let's break this down a bit. AWS is in regions, as we've just discussed. In Python, you can make 
packages and it's quite common in python to need dependencies in the form of packages those are usually pulled down from something like the pip repository so if you want to work with say json data or with date time schemas or anything like that you need to install a, a pip package as a as a way of importing that dependency <coughs> excuse me so you don't have to write all that code yourself it's entirely possible that a company might have a need to roll their own packages for custom uh, internal consumption and if they're in a multi-region setup those packages will be highly likely to be needed in all of the regions historically that's been quite tricky how would you have done it you'd put it up to a private pip repository somewhere kind of clone it around and, and consume it from there which is not amazing for a number of sort of manually looking after things reasons um so yeah not great and pip management on both ends is generally quite bad like package management dependency management in every language is horrible so yeah and then the rest of this is a publishing pipeline so yeah running your own ones using cdk and code pipeline so it's using cdk i think because aws is really quite keen on pushing the cdk I don't know why, but it seems to be kind of their latest and greatest new shiny thing that they want to sort of ram down everyone's throats a little bit. So look, use the CDK, use the CDK, because then you don't have to worry about learning how to do CloudFormation, um, and they'll never tell you to use Terraform, but you don't have to learn how to use Terraform or, say, the serverless framework or anything like that. You can just write your existing Python code, and if you're publishing a python package you probably know how to write python i should hope you can use your existing python code to make cloud resources to make code commit repos to make code build jobs to make code pipeline uh, pipelines and you can just kind of do that all in the one language which is probably why they've gone with code pipeline in this article uh, cdk in this article because then they can quite rightly say the whole thing's written in python you haven't had to write anything that isn't python it's all python which is which is admittedly kind of cool and then code pipeline on the end is just AWS's take on um, supplying pipelines for CI/CD purposes. So that's that's all of those terms broken down. What does this article actually do? Well, it's a blog post and it's telling you um, how you can do exactly that in the title. So using the CDK and the code isn't on the article, but it's linked out in a GitHub repo, so you can go and fork it and, and play with it. You use the CDK to create code commit repository which has got your python source code for your um, package it's got a code build job which builds the package and um, uploads said package to aws code artifact which is their managed service version of a repository so um, NuGet is another example you might have hosted things in Nexus or Artifactory, that kind of thing. It's it's just AWS's managed version of that, which is not bad because as AWS goes, it's it's pretty cheap. Like most AWS services, it's pretty cheap and it kind of does what it says on the tin. And then it talks about um, you know the fact that the CDK is actually compiling down to CloudFormation, and you can look at CloudFormation. Which means, in theory, if you don't want to use the CDK, like I'm not a massive fan of it because I'm not a Python developer, I'm not a Node.js developer, and I've spent many, many years um, with CloudFormation, with Terraform, so I just kind of want to stay with the tools that I'm more familiar with. So it compiles down to CloudFormation. You could do it in CloudFormation if you want to. It then sort of shows you the package publishing pipeline, more piece, 
and then looking at the published package in the code artifact repository uh, having auto builds and auto runs based on updates to your code commit and then how you can use that in your local code as well so in theory what you could do if you needed to is you can build and uh, develop and build and publish your own package and then consume that in your own lambdas in every region that you want so that's great it's generally it's quite a cool thing it's a very opinionated way of showing you actually what you could do um, I would argue that this is potentially maybe not undifferentiated heavy lifting but this is some heavy lifting that AWS could do better um, and in my opinion they have a bit of a poor track record on going on about removing the undifferentiated heavy lifting from their customers and then actually for a large amount of it writing a blog post on how they can do it this smells a little bit like that to me but maybe maybe not it's it's quite cool though i quite like it i shan't be using it though but it's quite cool why why won't you be using it what, what will you be using instead i have no need as it currently stands to write python modules so nothing okay fair enough got it so let's move away uh from the technical side of things and uh, our next article is more on on the business side of things um about cloud spending um so we've got this article on silicon angle um about uh, sp how spending on public cloud services will exceed 591 billion dollars in 2023 that's a pretty big number um and uh, it's obviously growing massively um I don't think t this year's number uh, is in there, but uh, it's a growth of 20.7% um, from where we are today. Um, so uh, still massive, massive growth uh, in the cloud market. W what do you think is driving this growth, John? Um, the same thing that's always been driving, well, no. So some of the same things that's been driving IT adoption generally for the past 20, 30, 40 years, increasing automation, removing manual stuff, um, you know, less dependency on, on humans and, and taking all that sort of thing away. And then more specifically in the cloud, it's it's more of the same. I mean, you, you know as well as I do that migration to the cloud is is increasing, even in the scope of, um, as I think you said in your video, in the scope of slower growth is seen as really bad, even though it is still growth. So the, the cloud migrations have started. They're not stopping. People still don't want to manage data centers, especially things like regulated data centers for the finance industry uh, or government. And AWS is very keenly aware of that with, I believe, a US GovCloud region. There might be a UK one now or, or, or soon, maybe. I think I saw something about that a while ago. Um, so there will be GovCloud regions coming online in various places where that's kind of relevant. So, yeah, people don't want to be running data centers. That's part of it, I think. That's definitely part of it. Another part of it is, and we've seen this with some of the emails that um, account managers have sent to our customers, is that when people do get into AWS, AWS is very keen on getting them to put more of their workloads than they already have. So, say you moved your, I don't know, data warehouse into AWS, but you've still got your website hosted on a server rack in your cupboard. AWS will say, oh, by the way, why don't you move that over as well? And then you can take advantage of the elasticity and the this and the that and the whatever. And you don't have to worry about moving all your data around. So AWS themselves will kind of cross-sell and upsell existing customers on moving more things to their cloud. And then on top of that, of course, in... Um, 
these sorts of reports, increasing IaaS spend through developers just having temporary workspaces through LightSail or whatever, will be included in these numbers. So, yeah, generally, just more of everything, I think. What I found interesting in this article is that actually uh, infrastructure as a service is uh, growing faster um, than the other the other areas, uh, such as platform as a service and software as a service. Um, so uh, I guess uh, whilst we're seeing a lot more um, adoption of more cloud-native type services, it's still the traditional infrastructure as a service, virtual machines in the cloud, um, that uh, that is driving a lot of this growth. So the IaaS spending uh, is forecast to increase by almost 30%, um, whereas the overall growth for, for, for the cloud market is only at 20.7%. 20, 20 um, <clears throat> and uh, it's actually the PaaS services uh, which are growing slower um, than, than IaaS and SaaS. So it's got um, platform as a service. Um, sorry, so platform as a service and software as a service. Platform as a service growing at 23.2% and software as a service growing at 16.8%. So SaaS is the, the slowest growing of, of all, which I find quite surprising because, uh, you know, certainly we're seeing a lot of customers going on journey to, to pass infrastructure modernization, application modernization, building cloud, na cloud native apps, etc. What's your thoughts around that? We're seeing our customers doing that after they've already done the initial lift and shift journey into the cloud is I think what's happening there. Yeah. But what you've got to bear in mind is, and I'm quoting Corey Quinn here, so it might be wrong, but something like 60-odd percent of AWS's revenue is EC2. I don't think that's going to change for a long time yeah. because most of the um, new customer adoption... Yeah, because I guess you get a lot of people migrating in doing... You get a lot of people migrating and doing a lift and shift... Uh, yeah, thinking that they're going to modernise and then never getting around to it. Absolutely. So, yeah, and the other interesting nugget from this article was that uh, the, the growth of the cloud services market, as we mentioned, it's uh, going to be over 20% the next year. Uh, but actually, it's way ahead than overall IT spending, which is only going to climb by 5.1%. So uh, we can see that uh, you know cloud is still the massive growth area, uh, despite some of the doom and gloom that we saw around uh, results time recently of those growth, growth rates slowing down. Um, but uh, you know, I think perhaps some of the other things that are contributing to the growth rate slowing down for AWS is the drive to help customers optimize costs, because I think they genuinely do uh, stand by that. Um, you know, that, that they do want um, customers to be cost optimized to make those customers stickier. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of tools that they are making available to help drive those costs down. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think you, you are absolutely right. Um, and it, it might also be why things like um, SAS and PASS and DAS, going back on the uh, washing powder, um, is growing slower than IaaS because IaaS is a lot less sticky. You can just It's just servers. Um, but to fully take advantage and to fully optimise for costs, you need to be using their opinionated way of doing things. Cool. Let, let's skip on to the final article for this week then, um, which is uh, uh, an AWS blog post uh, just about the latest um, Gartner Magic Quadrant for cloud infrastructure and platform services. Um, so uh, I'm sure most of our listeners will be familiar with the Magic Quadrant. Uh, it's just showing a, 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 a very pictorial way of showing who the, the leaders are uh, in the market. 
and uh, where their sort of relevant strengths and weaknesses are to to one another. And Amazon, of course, Amazon Web Services have been firmly in the top right of that quadrant, um, in the leaders area, um, for for many many years now. Um, so. Um, yeah, not, nothing new there in terms of Amazon appearing uh, in, in the top right, still way ahead of Google and Microsoft. Um, but what I thought I'd do is just quickly contrast that um, against last year's quadrant, so the 2021 quadrant. Um, Amazon seemed to be in almost exactly the same position if I flick back and forth between the two quadrants. But I guess what's interesting is what's going on behind um, Amazon uh, in this space. Um, so. I think to some extent we are seeing Google and Microsoft catching up now. Um, and, and the interesting thing I thought was uh, on the um, on, on the bottom access, the completeness of vision um, in 2022, Microsoft actually seemed to have overtaken Amazon um, in terms of uh, completeness of vision. According to Gartner, this is, of course, uh, other views are available. Uh, but uh, it seems that, uh, that Gartner have now put Microsoft slightly ahead of Amazon in terms of completeness of vision. What, what do you think might have uh, driven that, John? Well, if you go into the actual report, and I don't recommend anyone does this because it's really boring, um, they talk about cautions with AWS eroding customer relationships, which is somewhat at odds with what we've just said, but because they're optimizing for the short term when dealing with particularly large customers, having very limited interest for things like um, multi-cloud and sovereign strategies where their competitors kind of are a bit better at that. Um, and then the regional dependencies thing, which we touched on earlier, which is sort of a nonsense, but it's not made it into here. If you compare and contrast that with Microsoft, their strengths are two of their strengths are solutions oriented, which is, you know, complementary ecosystem, blah, 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 and hybrid and multi-cloud, which is an exact opposite of one of Amazon's cautions. So it, it might be that Gartner are placing a particularly high... Um, importance on being able to be multi-cloud maybe we're also seeing sort of google and uh, alibaba moving further right uh, along that scale of, of completeness of vision um, and one thing i did notice uh, there's a, a new entry into the uh, niche players quadrant this year huawei cloud i didn't even know huawei had a cloud did you know huawei had a cloud um no i didn't but it sort of makes sense huawei have been in the news not so much lately but historically for um reasons that would get us banned in china if we start talking about them too much um you know they've been kind of oh it's owned by the chinese government oh it's this oh it's that okay whatever um so it sort of makes sense because in addition to kind of what most people would be aware of with the phones and stuff i believe they're a fairly major manufacturer of telecoms equipment for things like 5g which is them being banned in lots of countries for that is um presumably why the 5g rollout has just been appalling in the uk so it makes sense that they've got massive data centers makes sense yeah, I'd never just never really seen them uh, mentioned in the in the same breath as the likes of uh, AWS, Microsoft, and Google. But uh, there we are; they are featuring, and uh, you know we also interesting that they have a more other, complete um, vision than. Sorry, go on. Uh, no, it's uh, it's who has a more complete vision? Huawei has a more complete vision than than IBM. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I think it's just funny. Yeah. Well, they've moved a little bit, IBM. They've, they've moved slightly up in the ability to, to execute. 
but uh, yeah, um, certainly we're seeing Oracle moving, um, perhaps not moving up so much in the ability to execute, but certainly moving across in the completeness of vision um, as they uh, roll out more and more functionality in, in their cloud. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great, great to see Amazon still up there very firmly in the top right. So uh, I guess we'll have to see uh, what happens in the next 12 months and uh, compare and contrast um, the future quadrants. So um, that really brings us to the end of our time today, John. Is it already? It's flown past. I must say, it's nice between this article has, and the previous it? one that um, our jobs are secure for a little while. Nice to know. Absolutely. I think we're certainly uh, we're playing in the right space, uh, as it were. So, uh, yeah, still plenty of growth, uh, plenty of opportunity uh, in this marketplace for Logicata and uh, all of our competitors and peers. So, uh, great place to be. Uh, we still love the cloud and uh, we... Uh, Happy to help our customers uh, in, along on their cloud journeys. Um, so, um, yeah, that does bring us to the end of our time this week. So uh, thanks for listening again to the Logicast podcast, episode five. Um, if, uh, if you enjoyed it, tell your friends, uh, hit the subscribe button. Uh, the podcast is available to download from all major podcast distribution channels. John and I will be back next week with episode six of Logicasts. Until then, uh, see you next time. Cheers.